0: And I have to continue to believe that um, that if we're if we have a, a, an intention that is focused on supporting the greater good and not you know e- ego driven, um, that uh, will end up not only satisfying our own you know personal you know wants and desires, but we'll look back and we'll see that we actually left you know our community or left a situation better than we found it.
1: Hello, damn good friends. Welcome to Let's Give a Damn, the podcast that inspires and equips you to give more dams than ever before. We bring you amazing stories of people from all walks of life who saw something wrong and gave a damn about it. I'm your host, Nick LaPara, and I'm pumped to bring you today's conversation. I rarely watch TV, but I definitely make time for Queer Eye. Season two came out this summer, and I was first introduced to my guest today in the season two finale called Make Ted Great Again. There's a slogan I can get behind. The Fab Five were tasked with helping the mayor of Clarkston, Georgia, well, look more the part of a mayor. It was a deeply impactful episode, and we got a peek into how diverse, accepting, and unified Clarkston, Georgia is. I emailed Ted Terry, my guest today, asking him to be on the show, and he happily accepted my invitation. Mayor Ted is currently serving his second term as the mayor of Clarkston, Georgia. And I'll be completely honest, y'all. When I think of progressive, diverse, a place where refugees and immigrants are accepted and celebrated, my mind doesn't immediately go to most places in the South. But this small city of 12,700 people just outside of Atlanta is trying to change the way you and I think about the South. Clarkston boasts the most diverse square mile in America where 50% of its residents are foreign born, having moved there from over 50 countries across six of the seven continents. Amazing, right? I don't know if there's any other place in the US where they can boast 50% of their residents being refugees and immigrants. Maybe I'm wrong. Let me know if I'm wrong. In our chat, we talk tolerance, acceptance, all things the South, loving your neighbor, conversing with people with whom you disagree, and so much more. Ted's email signature has the following quote in it, quote, so never be afraid, never be afraid to raise your voice for honesty and truth and compassion and against injustice and lying and greed. If you will do this, you will change the earth. End quote, William Faulkner. By the end of our chat, you'll realize that's not just a feel good quote he puts in his email signature, but that this is actually his heartbeat and his vision for life. So without further ado, Here's my conversation with the mayor of Clarkston, Georgia, and the future governor of the state of Georgia, Ted Terry. I'm so excited to have the mayor of Clarkston, Georgia, Ted Terry, on the line with me today. Ted, how are you?
0: Very good, Nick. Thanks for inviting me on the podcast. It's a little stormy here in uh, Clarkston, uh, but... But thanks for doing this interview.
1: Of course. Thank you for agreeing to be on. I'm, I'm so thrilled to be talking to you. Um, was first introduced to you, uh, your TV debut on Queer Eye Season 2, the last episode, correct? And uh, um, super exciting episode. It's what introduced me to the work that you're doing. And I I was so intrigued by what you did. Are accomplishing in Clarkston, Georgia, or at least trying to accomplish and gaining traction with it? I was like, man, I need to, I need to get in touch and see if we can talk. I have so many questions, and you, you know, very quickly agreed to do it. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Um, super excited for what we're gonna discuss here in the next few minutes. So shall we jump right in? Yeah, let's do it. Before we get into the work that you're currently doing and how you got into politics and all of that stuff. Give me some context for who you are, the kinds of people, places, and things that formed you, shaped you into who you are today, because that'll give us a peek into, I, I imagine, some of the things that you're doing. So whatever comes to mind when I say that, just share some of that for a few minutes with us.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a great way of introducing it. Um, well, I will, I will I will say this. One of my favorite quotes that I have been sort of you know, using in presentations about Clarkston over the last few years is from Mark Twain, and he says that travel is fatal to bigotry, prejudice, and narrow-mindedness. One cannot develop broad, wholesome views of humanity by vegetating in one's own corner of the world mm. for one's entire life. Uh, the, the short version of the of the quote is: travel is the only cure for ignorance. Mm. Uh, and as uh, i was very fortunate and privileged as a, a child and throughout my middle and high school um for my, my parents to to take me and my sister on trips to canada to mexico to europe to around the the, uh, the united states and so i i really from an early age had a sort of a, a kind of an adventurous spirit sort of uh, embedded into me um to go out and you know learn new things and and try new things and and you know, uh, push the comfort zone, um, and interact with people who may not be necessarily like me or where I came from. Uh, but you know, once I got to know them, you know, turned out to be just, just like you, just like me, just like my parents, like my sister. Um, and so, um, I, I had that experience, you know, growing up, I continued to travel throughout, uh, after graduating high school, um, I got really involved in politics um, after the September 11th, 2001, terrorist attacks. Um, I was a freshman year in college, uh, and that really shaped my worldview uh, in a larger sense. That you know that um, the United States um, and just the, the the life that I individually led, uh, uh, you know, could be affected by people from you know halfway across the world. Um, and so all of a sudden, you know, the, the our world seemed to be a lot closer together. There seemed to be some real existential challenges and, and things that we faced as a country, but also as a world um, as I think radicalization sort of kind of reared its head after those attacks. Um, I got very, very involved in politics in college at the University of Florida. Um, I uh, was uh, against the uh, Iraq war. I was part of the the protest movement on my college campuses um, uh, in Gainesville, Florida. And I spent, you know, three and a half years almost, uh, you know, protesting these wars. And then uh, George W. Bush got reelected. And I felt kind of confused about why protesting and attending rallies didn't change the political dynamics and the results of an election. Um, And I I kind of realized that uh, I didn't really know much about campaigning or politics or even policy. Um, and so I d- decided to sort of commit myself when I moved to Atlanta in 2005 uh, to learn more about how to work on campaigns, how to run campaigns. And uh, my first real, c- true campaign experience was uh, for the Sierra Club, um, which is a group I actually work for today. But you know, almost or 13 years ago, I was a, a simple door-to-door canvasser for the Sierra Club in Atlanta, Georgia, knocking on doors, talking to strangers about the environment. Um, I worked for uh, President Obama's uh, campaign in 2008, and over the years worked uh, on many political campaigns, which really shaped my views um, in terms of policy and politics, but also just how to organize and how to communicate with people. And so when I found myself in Clarkston, Georgia in 2012, I got involved um, just as a volunteer on some local food initiatives and some other community-led uh, you know, participatory budgeting processes um, and then found myself sort of kind of co- going head-to-head with the then incumbent mayor um, who uh, was a bit old, was a, an older fella in his late 70s kind of kind of surly um, and I, I, I really wanted to get a speed bump uh, and traffic relaxers put in my neighborhood because people would speed in my neighbor uh, and you know and was putting my neighbors kids at risk from getting hit by a car and couldn't walk my dog in peace. And so I kind of had a little bit of a political battle on getting speed bumps in my neighborhood. Um, I couldn't get any progress on that. And so I decided to uh, run for mayor uh, because I wanted to get, you know, speed bumps in my neighborhood. (laughs) And uh, that led me to run for mayor. uh, And I won in 2013 with uh, 52% of the votes, just barely won. Um, And I'm I'm happy to report that, we're, we're getting, you know, finally after four years, <laughs> we're, we're making progress and we're actually going to get speed bumps, uh, installed on our, um, on our street. Yes. Um, they was very happy about, so, you know, t- it takes time. Progress takes time. Patience, uh, is a virtue. Um, and, uh, you know, working in government, um, does take time, but it's well worth it when it, uh, when it, when you, when you, uh, See uh, the 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 end results.
1: Yeah, that is fascinating. I mean, on the one hand, you just kind of summed up politics in a nutshell, right? You ran on, you know, you couldn't get speed bumps, so you decided to run for mayor to get speed bumps, right? And you won, thankfully, and and now four years later, you're still, you know, you're you're about to get them. That that is politics, right, in a nutshell. Like, hurry up and wait. Everything is slow. Nothing happens when you want it to, I'm sure. Um, I mean, politics is crazy, and I I just think it's fascinating that you, as such a young man, decided to just go for it. Were there any naysayers along the way, people that said, I mean, you were running against, you just said, kind of a surly, I imagine, sort of old-school, 70s-plus guy, right? That's what everybody was used to. And then you came in early 30s, and said, I'm going to run for mayor. Were, were there any people saying, nah, like give this up. You're not going to be able to do it. Or what was kind of the environment there? People celebrating you or people pushing back on you or a little bit of
0: both? <laughs> oh yeah. The, uh, the old guard, uh, was pissed, Yeah, <laughs> no way. Um, which, you know, is natural reaction. I mean, um, this, this, uh, former mayor had, had, you know, lived in Clarkston for 40 plus years you know, I think he um, sort of felt like he had earned, earned it, and that's, that's up for debate. Um, I've always taken this, the, um, the position that uh, if you hold a public office, it's, it's not your seat. It's the people's seat, mm. and uh, you are simply holding it temporarily until someone else comes along that works harder or, or is a better representative of the people, um, and that's why we have elections, so you can make your case. Leading up to that moment, um, when I decided to run for mayor, um, I had had over 10 years of working in uh, democratic campaigns and issue campaigns. And so I really had learned um, all the mechanics and all of the theories behind how you win elections. And, you know, the number one thing that I learned is you got to do a lot of listening. You have to be willing to uh, to not be intransient in some of your um, your beliefs, because at the end of the day, you are there to represent your constituents, and to think that you know everything there is to know and that nothing will change your mind, um, I think would be a disservice to public service. Um, we live in, in such a uh, at, at the time, you know, 20, even 2013 um, as it is today, a rapidly changing political and mm-hmm. policy environment. And we have to be, you know, nimble. And so, you know, as a millennial running as a thirty-year-old, um, I, I uh, didn't think I was going to win. Um, I thought that I was, I was going to get pretty close um, on election night. I had run the numbers, and I had knocked on over a thousand doors, and you know, wow. had my win number in mind. And I thought, you know, it looks like it's about a fifty-fifty. In fact, actually, the fun, it's a funny thing. I was always told to never give up until 7 p.m. when the polls close. You just keep campaigning for every single vote up until the polls close. Don't quit. Not a moment too soon. Because Clarkson is a small town, Nick, and uh, we only have one voting precinct. And so literally you can stand within 100 feet of the polling place in the one parking spot behind the, the, the Baptist Church gymnasium where the polling – Uh, the elections takes place and you can see everyone and greet everyone that parks and walks by you uh, to go vote. And I remember knocking on all these doors and meeting all these people. And then it was like about six o'clock at night, an hour before the polls close. And I'm looking at my list and there's some people that haven't voted. I'm like, man, there's, you know, Miss Jenkins didn't come by. I'm looking for, you know, hang Tran. I'm looking for people who I talked to um, who didn't show up. And so I ran home. I recorded a quick, recorded uh, message to my supporters and basically was like, Hey, the polls are still open. We're going to be out here till seven o'clock. You know, you know, don't wait till the last minute, you know, you're getting off of work. I basically let a, a last minute kind of ditch, you know, recorded phone call, send it out to my supporters. And sure enough, 6 50 PM, 10 minutes before the polls close, people start showing up. Oh, uh, Hey, I got your message. I just had a late day at work. Uh, totally forgot the election was today. <laughs> uh, thanks for the reminder. And you know, six or seven more people showed up, um, which you know was about my vote margin. If I had gotten six or seven less votes, I would have ha- had a runoff election. There was two other people running in that election. Wow, 50 percent of the vote. You know, missed that runoff just by you know seven or eight votes. Um, well, thank goodness, because that would have been a whole another four weeks of you know hard work and sure. Been- turn out a different way. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a reminder
1: to everyone listening that every vote matters. I mean, it's the most, we can get on and discuss, have discussions on social media. We definitely need to do that more in person with people, but the real way that we affect change, right. Is by voting. It's not by talking about these things and screaming and yelling and being keyboard warriors, but by voting people in and out that, you know, the change that we want to see. Right. And you just said it yourself, like you were it was a it was a matter
0: of six or seven votes. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. People, especially the local level. I mean, turnout. I mean, we had historic turnout in Clarkston in 2013, and then when I got reelected last November. But it was still about 23 percent of the vote um, voters turned out, and that's like record turnout. So local elections always have lower turnout. Your vote, you know, always is going to you know count a little bit more in these local elections um, because people tend to sort of kind of deprioritize them. Nick, I've always argued that the local elections probably matter more than the national elections. They do. They do. We talk about speed bumps in your neighborhood or public safety. Um, certainly the schools, um, we're talking about like local economic development. We're talking about just things that you, you know, where you live in your community. I mean, those are decided by County commissioners, Mm. school board members, by council members and mayors. Not that I want to discount voting for Congress and voting for president. Um, but you know, when you're in sort of this, you know, Georgia's a red state, right? It's called a red state. Um, Mm -hmm. and all of our electoral college votes are winner take all. So sometimes you get a little, you know, disenfranchisement from people who might, want to see a more you know, closer election. Um, we only have really one, maybe two congressional seats in Georgia that are truly competitive. The rest are so far Democratic or so far Republican that it kind of doesn't matter. But certainly just the exercise of voting, being able to, I think, have a sort of a electorally literate uh, uh, democracy can only um, empower us more because it's amazing the things that I touch just as mayor in a small town that really impact people's lives deliberately, you know, uh, you know, directly. And I think if some people realized how much power, you know, politicians had and the change that they really could make for the better of our community and our society, I think you'd see voter turnout just skyrocket. But unfortunately we just were in this sort of this time, you know, time period where it's, it's hard to connect um, what politicians do. um, The partisan, you know, sort of fighting the ideological fighting, and it not really translate into, well, how does that affect, you know, my job or my family? Mm. Um, I don't discount anyone who um, has lost faith in the system. I mean, all I can do is say, I, I hear you, um, but politicians respond to people who vote. Um, and the more the least you could do is vote. And the more that you vote, the more the politicians will start reaching out to you. In a moment, I want to keep talking about Clarkson and your work. And
1: I want to ask very briefly about your experience with Queer Eye and interacting with those, you know, amazing humans. Before we get there, though, you said something at the, at the beginning that I really want to hit on uh, when you were talking about your story. You said, you know, you, you were lucky. Uh, what I don't know what terminology you use, lucky, blessed, whatever. But, you know, you're having the experience where your parents would travel with you and you, you, you shared this very impactful Mark Twain quote that I love. I as well. I, I've spent 16 years of my life living outside the U.S. I've visited 30 plus countries. Uh, I feel much more comfortable outside the U.S. than I do inside the U.S. And that's a different discussion for a different day. But that's a gift. That was a gift to you, and that helped you have a much bigger worldview than you know. Let's just be honest. In the state that you're in, in the you know the people that you serve with and the people you serve alongside of, m- many of them don't have that worldview they don't even have the foggiest idea what it's like to you know be among other people and other cultures they've just kind of been in their little thing and so uh and then you went on to do things in college and the sierra club and get into politics like was there a moment where you said you know for the sake of this podcast the let's give a damn podcast was there a moment where you said i need to give a damn or give more dams kind of have like a like a very pivotal moment in your life or was it very much a gradual kind of a progression uh, sort of thing where it was like, just, no, it was just always part of who you were, who you are.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I've, I've had a lot of moment, a lot of, uh, give a damn moments. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but you know, um, I will say that, um, first thing that comes to mind is, uh, you know, I've been, I went to Mexico city with my parents, um, when I was like in fifth grade and it was sort of my first trip to sort of, you know, a country that was a little grittier, um, mm-hmm. where I grew up in Florida. And I remember being in this like sort of street market and it was kind of smelly and seemed a little kind of run down. Um, And my mom was, who like lived in Mexico city in the seventies when it was even sort of more rough and tumble (laughs) um, than when I went like the, you know, the mid nineties was like, oh no, there's some really good food here. Let's just walk around and we'll find some really good food. And you know, it's it's one of those things where um, if you push your comfort zone, if you sort of go up to the edge and just go a little bit further, you kind of find yourself uh, growing a little bit and and you know trying something new and 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 you know not every time the does trying something new turn out to be great, um, but a lot of times you you at least walk away with a different perspective and a, an appreciation. Um, and, you know, kind of fast forward that, you know, through my, my college days, you know, just realizing, like, as I referred to when I, um, got back from a a trip to Europe after um, I graduated high school and started college. Um, and, you know, we're sort of, sort of faced with this, you know, changing environment where, um, you know, we were going to war in Afghanistan and war in Iraq, you know, there's this, um. Uh, this, I think, appreciation for the people who live in in countries. You know, oftentimes we say that you know we're at war with Iraq, we're at war with you know Iran or or Korea or North Korea or wh- whatever. And you know, and I remember you know listening to people and you know you know this this, this idea that well, I don't know anyone in those countries that I hate. Hmm. The political leaders are the ones who are you know starting the wars or who are the ones who are having right. conflicts with. But the, the people there are. Just, just people just like you and I. They're ordinary people. They like to eat good food, and they like to listen to good music and dance and have fun. And they care about their children's future. They care about opportunity and hope and safety. Um, and they want to see, um, you know, a, a better world—not um, for themselves, just for themselves, but for future generations. And you know, I can't, I can, I can say that, you know, whether it's getting involved in politics locally or trying to. You know, just being fortunate as a, a local mayor that's had the privilege of um, going to international conferences um, where refugees and migration are considered now a, a really uh, a local issue to, that needs to be addressed by local actors. Uh, I'm meeting mayors and council members from from Turkey and Morocco and Colombia and Spain and Italy um, and, and India who are on the front lines of the refugee and migration crisis and it's very easy to say, well, those people over there—that's their problem. You know, why don't those mm-hmm. people go home? And, and to not sort of, you know, just step back and be like, you know, these are people just like you and I. Like if I had lived in their situ in their shoes, if I had. Been forced from my home, from my country, into a refugee camp where I'm likely to spend 17 years waiting for some opportunity to either return home or resettled. I would have, I would have, um, you know, compassion uh, for them as well. What you just described is so key
1: realizing that we can be opposed to certain things happening in the world and in our country right not just not just over there not just them but even here there are things happening in our country that we can we can be vehemently opposed to we can even hate some of the things that are happening without hating the people while realizing that these are these are people with dreams and aspirations and they are doing the same exact things you you pointed it out i've said this a million times in different in so many different ways they're doing the same things that i would do were i in their situation they're not doing anything out of the ordinary they're in danger they're being you know persecuted and pursued and there's evil happening all over like they're going to get their families and their kids out of there and like you said some of them spend not just years decades in the system working toward a better life. And so so let's talk Clarkston for a second. This is a, first of all, how many, what's the population of Clarkston? What are we looking at here? I know it's a small.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Clarkston's known as the most ethnically diverse square mile in America. It's about 1.4 square mile city, uh, right in the metropolitan Atlanta, um, you know, sprawl. Uh, we're a 20 minute drive from downtown Atlanta and the, the Georgia state capital. Um, and we've got 13,000 people, um, 50% of those people and residents are foreign born, representing 40 different nationalities and speaking 60 different languages. That's mind blowing uh, on a few different levels. That's just not what you expect
1: in Georgia, right? Or in the Mid-South, like that's just not what you, I mean, I love, I have nothing against Georgia. I'm just saying that that doesn't seem like what you would find, so how did that happen? I mean, I'm, I've I've you know looked at the Clarkston website and I've, I read exactly what you just said. What can you share about how that happened? Like, how did that happen in, you know, 20, 30 minutes outside of, you know, Atlanta, Georgia? How, were there any factors that played into that? Or did it just happen by, you know, chance?
0: Yeah, well, well, truth be told, um, every state has a community or a part of their state kind of like Clarkston. And that's because the refugee resettlement program uh, is distributed, is sort of distributed per capita across all, um, uh, well, actually, there's one state that doesn't participate, but 49 states participate in the Refugee Resettlement Program. Um, and you have to go all the way back to Jimmy Carter <laughs> and the Refugee Act of 1980. Um, and the, it, the Refugee Act of 1980 was instigated um, and sort of pushed by a Republican uh, governor from Iowa um, who lobbied President Carter and their senators uh, to to find a resettlement pr- um, a program Uh, for South Vietnamese who had been forced to flee South Vietnam after um, Saigon fell and and, and the Americans pulled out after the Vietnam War. Uh, We're talking about, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Vietnamese who were in refugee camps for many, many years who had really had no hope of ever returning back to their homes in Vietnam. And so in the uh, early to mid 80s, um, Clarkston, as well as you know, dozens of other communities around America received uh, resettled uh, Vietnamese refugees in the, you know, in the tens of thousands. At the time, uh, Nick, there was this fear that communists were going to infiltrate the Vietnamese refugee community and spread communism um, uh, throughout America, which, you know, kind of, if you look at the fast forward to today, uh, people didn't want Iraqi, Afghani, or uh, Syrian refugees to come to America because of of how, how of the fear that ISIS would somehow infiltrate uh, this program, which you know happens to be uh, the most vetted and rigorous um, uh, process to immigrate to America of all the ways you right. immigrate to America. Coming to America as a refugee is the most highly Vetted of all immigrant statuses, and so it literally is the safest way to Im- have, you know to have people immigrate to this country, and so you know really uh, to go back to Clarkson over the years, Atlanta had been receiving refugees. Clarkson received refugees. Uh, other communities near the metropolitan area. Um, but really, because Clarkston was sort of a small town, we like to sort of say that it's a starter city. It's, you know, it's everything is, is walkable. So if you have the, the our two elementary schools, our high school, we have two, a, a technical college. The Georgia State University has a Clarkston campus, the post office, the grocery store, the mosque, the Baptist church, the Bhutanese Buddhist temple. Everything is within a half a mile walk. From everything else in Clarkston, and so as new people are, you know, sort of tiptoeing and stepping into America to learn, you know, how to be an American, um, uh, they can do it um, in a very small kind of digestible way. And then, you know, uh, the the reality is that most refugees don't stay in Clarkston forever. Um, they're interested in. Um, expanding, whether they're starting their own business, uh, moving to other parts of the country where they may have some family, um, or just trying to find, you know, a home to buy um, and to, to live in, you know, in, in sort of a very, you know, kind of a typical American dream um, sort of, you know, paradigm. And so, yeah, so Clarkston has, uh, at least in the last, you know, 15 years, been a, a much more affordable place to live, a very sort of uh, walkable community uh, and a a really good way for people just um, who are who really lost everything, Nick, um, to start their lives over Mm. um, and to figure out how to be, you know, what we call new Americans.
1: Man, that is a beautiful vision, and I, I need to come visit. I'm going to come visit Ted. Uh, I need to. I need to head down and hang out and eat some food and meet some people because it does sound. I mean, I. I just love. Like we've. My family and I, and I have always lived in very diverse, uh, mostly large cities. I, I've never lived in a small town before. But what I love, what you just described, seemed. I mean, that's that's a little bit of heaven, right? It's a small area you know, like you said, all these different places of worship and, you know, places of business, they're all so, everything's right there. So it's not people aimlessly walking about getting lost. Like, it's just, everything is right there. That just sounds like a really, I mean, it, I'm, humans are humans and, you know, sh- weird shit can happen as well in Clarkston as anywhere else, but it just seems like a, a place prime for helping people live in a unified uh, way. So that's awesome that's really really awesome i'm i I need to come visit that's the point i'm trying to make
0: (laughs) of course of course we have the best himalayan restaurant in atlanta amazing Ethiopian food and coffee shops. Um, and we have, we have a really good, uh, American style pub and brewery as you know, beer pub as well. So
1: (laughs) say no more. I'll be there in the next few months and, uh, you can, you can show me around. All right. Share some wisdom with us for a few minutes. We're going to begin landing this plane here, landing the plane of this interview, but everybody listening to this podcast, they are damn givers in some way, or they want to be right. They're trying to, they live kind of a passive life and they want to, you know, break out of that. Or there are people that are doing it in very active ways. through their company or their nonprofit or their moms or their dads. There's a wide variety of people listening to this podcast right now. And you've been giving a damn for many, many years in, in many different ways. And now as a mayor and, you know, congrats, since Queer Eye, you you got reelected for the second time, right? This time by a 59%. Uh, so, you know, it's going up. Um, so that's awesome. But you're not doing, you're not giving a damn in this way. And it seems like you're doing a hell of a job. I mean, I'm very, just very grateful for that. So share some wisdom with us. If I just say, hey, share based on your experience of things that you've gone through and you not knowing who's on the other end of this, you know, podcast, what are two or three pieces of just general but solid wisdom that you would share with people, things that they can take and say, yeah, that is something that I can actually start to implement or an idea or just a thought about giving a damn.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, two things that I really like to push home a lot, especially when I talk about Clarkston, Um, you know, back to that Mark Twain quote, like when you look at something and you're like, man, that's, those people look, are kind of weird, or this food looks kind of odd, or that I don't know if I want to visit that place. I think you really got to challenge yourself, uh, to go outside your comfort zone, you know, go right up to the edge of what you're comfortable. And, you know, you don't got to leap and go a mile ahead. You could just go one step ahead. And if you're digging one step towards a little bit uncomfortableness. Um, you can expand your horizons so much. And, and so many times that I found myself sort of fighting that, even today, I still fight the, oh, I don't quite want to know if I want to you know, do this. And then I find myself you know, looking back and being like, yeah, that was really worth it. It really allowed me to see um, something that I, I wouldn't have seen if I hadn't pushed myself. Um, and then you know with with Clarkston I mean you know we're and this is this is one of the main reasons I really wanted to I, I agree to do the episode because <laughs> Nick I'm telling you man when they when they approached me to you know be sort of a subject on the, the show I was like nah I'm good here let me go talk to the, I recommended other people in Clarkston who I thought right were more deserving and would be great to highlight because you know the mayor, you know, there's amazing people doing work in Clarkston. Um, we have had a lot of people who have come to our city over the last several um, years, in the last decade, who have really, I think, changed things for the better and have, have transformed our community to what it is today. I can't take credit for all of that. Um, but they, you know, they were like, well, you need to do it because we want to showcase Clarkston. And the, the thing that I that I have found um, in our city is, um, is I think, a, a principle of like attracts like. I think that when you have um, uh, people who have an intention that is uh, positive, that is forward-thinking, that is compassionate, um, that is uh, focused on doing good works, um, and not worrying about getting the credit, not worrying about you know what kind of recognition you get, mm. I think you'll find that more and more people who have that mindset will start showing up, and it's amazing. That just in the, the four and a half years I've been mayor, you know every time we would have like a challenge or something that would be kind of like, yeah, we really need this, you know the right people would show up at the right time, and I have to continue to believe that um, that if we're if we have a, a, an intention that is focused on supporting the greater good and not you know e- ego driven, um, that uh, will end up not only satisfying our own you know, personal, you know, wants and desires, but we'll look back and we'll see that we actually left, you know, our community or left a situation better than we found it.
1: Those are super great, tangible, helpful pieces of advice. Uh, Thank you for sharing that. What's what's next for you? I mean, you've got you're in your second term. You've got three and a half years left of that. Like, what? What's the big dream?
0: Well, you know, w- when I was filming the episode last July, uh, and I got to say, the the Fab Five are, are truly amazing individuals. Um, they helped me in so many ways. Whether it was uh, Jonathan, you know, helping me with my grooming and yeah, my, yeah. My, you know, my moisturizing and my you know, he encouraged me to. You know, he said that the beard ever grew back. I mean, make sure you use beard oil. So I have grown the beard back a little bit. And so I am using beard oil. Nice. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, and then whether it's tan with the fashion sort of, you know, advice and Bobby with the the advice on how to, you know, create uh, an environment that's conducive for work and, and, and life balance. And then um, uh, Anthony with uh, his cooking tips. I, I, have, I have been grilling peaches nice. um, at other dinner parties I've had. Um, but you know, the one thing that um, Karamo was so funny on because he because Karamo um, he's been I don't know if you've been following him lately, but he's been you know kind of speaking up and being very political., yep. and we have a mutual friend, um, Andrew Gillum, who's running for governor of Florida. Um, Andrew was the mayor of Tallahassee uh, or is the mayor of Tallahassee, and he he was a council member when I lived in Tallahassee um, you know, in the you know years ago. Um, and so me and Karama were talking about Andrew running for governor, and he was like, "Well, you know, what are you going to do next, uh, Ted?" And I was like, "Well, you know, I think that I think I want to run for governor. I, I don't know though." Mm-hmm. And then Karama was like, "He's like, no. When someone asks you what you're doing next, you tell them that you're running. You're you know, you're going to do this, and you do it. And you mean it with you know with confidence. And yeah. so if you you know it kind of kind of came out in the episode, um, but um, I plan on running for for governor in 2022 here in Georgia." The one caveat, Nick, is that uh, we have an amazing candidate, um, Stacey Abrams, who will be the first uh, African American female governor in American history that is running right now. Who I'm very proud to endorse and support and campaign for. Um, I really, really hope that she wins. Um, if the worst happens and we're not able to win that election, then then I'll I'll definitely run against the Republican incumbent in 2022. Um, so that's, that's pretty much the plan. I'm, you know, that's like three and a half years from now and that's a long time, Nick. And I still have a lot of things that I still want to accomplish in Clarkston. I, you know, it ain't, a, it ain't perfect in Clarkston. It's a lot better than I think I found it. Um, but we still have a lot of challenges ahead. So I certainly have, um, poured myself back into, um, to, you know, to leading Clarkston in a progressive and innovative way. Um, and I, I think we got some great things on tap. Um, This year and and, in the coming years.
1: I love it. I love it. Well, I will, I will send all my support your way when you do run for governor. Um, I have lots of Georgian friends, I will push them, they'll obviously know about you, but I, I would be super excited to see that happen, because I've seen you, obviously, from the sidelines, lead the way that you're leading you know on a much smaller scale in clarkston i can you know i i would be very happy to see you do that at a much at a much greater level in a you know in a state like georgia that's that's really significant last question one day you're going to die hopefully it's many 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 years from now uh, there's a hypothetical part of this question and that is that someday for some odd reason they've asked me to give your eulogy <laughs> so everybody's crammed into this big room and it's a big stadium. Uh, and by then, you've you've done governor. You've done all of it. Maybe president someday. You've led people well through your life. And even the Fab Five, they're there. And I get to give your eulogy. What do you hope that I would say about your life and legacy on that day? <laughs>
0: That's great. I don't think I've ever been asked that, uh, Nick. So uh, thanks for a really tough question there. Uh, <laughs> uh, so here's, w- there's one kind of other little nugget of, of philosophy that I picked up over the last few years, and I, I grew up going to Sunday school and and uh, you know went to Methodist church and did missionary work and went to. Vacation Bible School, and was very involved in the church when I was growing up. Um, Over the last several years, I've um, had the opportunity to you know study more kind of religions, and I've you know and of course in Clarkston we have all the major religions, so I get a chance to go to the mosque and the Hindu temple and the you know the Vietnamese Baptist Church and the Ethiopian Orthodox services, and so you know it's amazing kind of the things you pick up um, in term you know about. And and being in sort of this, um, you know, sort of think of more, you know, that spiritual sort of context of, you know, why are we all here, and if our time on Earth is very finite, you know, what is it that we're going to leave behind? One thing that I picked up over the the last few years um, is a, a quote from the from the Tao Te Ching, uh, which kind of is a religion. It's more of a, you know, a, a book of philosophy. Um, but there's a, a verse that talks about how a good leader goes and and lives with the people, works with the people, you know, is basically one with the people and then when they have a task and a challenge that at the end of the day they they look around and said, "Look, we did it all by ourselves." And so my philosophy of leadership is that I don't want anyone to come to my eulogy and say that Ted did this all on his own and he's the only reason why we were able to do this. (laughs) I want them to, to, you know, maybe acknowledge that, you know, we were able to accomplish all of this stuff uh, and Ted was right there with us. And it was a partnership. It wasn't something that, you know, he did on his own. It was something that we did together. Um, And so if people come and say, you know, talk about all the great things that they did and that I was a part of it and, And even if I had a small part of it, I think that my my task um, will be fulfilled. That's fantastic. That's super great. In your email
1: signature, this quote, never be afraid to raise your voice for honesty and truth and compassion against injustice and lying and greed. If you will do this, you will change the earth. William Faulkner, Uh, great quote for your email signature. And also, I think you're doing that. And so keep doing that. Uh, We're cheering you on. And thanks so much for uh, joining me today on the podcast.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much, Nick. Really enjoyed it.
1: Dear friends, I hope you enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Ted. I'm encouraged by him, by the city of Clarkston, and all they aim to accomplish and are accomplishing already. Per usual, show notes for this episode, including links for all things Ted Terry and the city of Clarkston can be found at podcast.letsgiveadam.com. I would love to hear your thoughts about this conversation, so hit me up, hello at nicklapara.com, or find us on the interwebs on the socials. If you have 30 seconds this week, friends, P.S., I know you do, because we all do, would you mind going to Apple Podcasts right now and leaving us a five-star review and rating? I would love you forever and ever if you do. Reviews mean the world to me. I hardly ever hit you with ads, and I try not to ask for much, but it would make my day to see more reviews coming this week. So, what are you waiting for? We have an exciting episode next week with Kara Bryant, fourth-grade teacher at the incredible Village Leadership Academy in Chicago. She's remarkable, she's a badass, and our conversation is so full of hope. So don't miss out. As always, this podcast is brought to you by the Wizard of Audio himself, Chad Snavely. Same day, same time next week. Love y'all. Bye for now.